Welcome to the Mexico Business Now podcast. This is A View from the Top, an open space for industry experts to share knowledge, information, and expertise on the most relevant topics, events, and happenings on their corresponding sectors. Welcome, everyone, to the newest edition of the Mexico Business Now podcast. I'm your host, Sofia Hanna, and here with us today is Guido van der Swet, president of IPS Powerful People. IPS Powerful People is a global staffing agent headquartered in the Netherlands with offices all over the world. It supplies personnel to the international energy, maritime dredging, and civil construction industries. Over the years, IPS has expanded its expertise to other sectors, including renewable energy. Guido, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your knowledge with us today. I'll jump right into it and ask you about the landscape of talent in Mexico. What are the main opportunities in the Mexican labor market for specialized services? Yeah, well, thank you for having me. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, my name is uh, Guido van der Zwet. I'm uh, currently president of IPS Powerful People LLC, which is our office in Houston. We are very much based on permanent staffing, which means recruitment of offshore personnel. One of the interesting industries over there where we have a lot of focus on at the moment is offshore wind, which is obviously one of the sectors you mentioned earlier in the introduction. But we also still work in, in oil and gas and also LNG. There's a lot of things going on. Before this, I was 15 years living in Mexico. I ran the office here for 10 years. And although I'm based in Houston, I'm still responsible commercially for the entire Americas region. So that entails the United States, but also Mexico and also Guyana and Suriname are obviously there's also a lot of things going on. I think the great advantage we have there is that we have the cross-border experience. We can be at service on both sides of the border of the US and Mexico. And that leads kind of into your next question, where I feel that there definitely is a gap. Obviously, there's a lot of things going on in Mexico. As for us, we've also seen a lot of changes, obviously, but I think we will dive into that a little bit uh, later in the interview. At the moment, I think Mexico is in a period where we finally see the results of the energy reform or the new energy model, as it's called under the current administration, where we see that the production is increasing by the foreign companies that are coming into Mexico. And we also see that Pemex is putting more force into uh, getting those extra barrels out. So I think it's an interesting combination to go back to your question, where do I think are the challenges at the moment? Obviously, there's a lot of things going on in deep water. Uh, I think that's definitely an area that needs to be developed further. I think Mexico has been yeah, very lucky maybe let's say it like that to have the, the fields near Carmen obviously so that has been 80% of all the offshore production has come from over there that's why I see that the Carmen has been the capital of energy for so long but now we're also going into other areas in Mexico where I feel definitely the shallow waters there's definitely some development but also then deep water we see some developments which is an area that has not been explored that far in Mexico So that's definitely where we see a lot of challenges and where we can do the inter-border recruitment to get foreign talent, get people up uh, and running and trained, and then uh, yeah, make sure that we are uh, ready for the future. Great introduction. Thank you. You tapped into my next question, which is, how have you seen that increased participation of foreign operators and service providers has impacted or enriched local talent? Yeah, I think the foreign operators have definitely developed the market. They brought with them higher uh, standards in uh, safety, for example, and training uh, levels. Uh, one of the examples is the, uh, the BOSIA training that's obligatory by, by many of the foreign operators. And that basically means that you have a higher level of, of safety uh, awareness. Also, that brings standards that are known for companies that have been operating around the world for, for a very long time. 
besides safety, obviously language, which in the 80 years before that uh, Pemex was the only operating company in Mexico, everything was done in Spanish, although there were already some foreign service providers. But the new operators, they have from bottom all the way down English level. So I think that is also improving. And overall skills, I think, you know, these are companies that have been working worldwide, seeing many different markets, uh, many different cultures, and they bring all that knowledge into the Mexican market. And that's also a great opportunity because in the end, all of these companies want to have a local workforce. They're investing very heavily. I think that also the, the foreign companies in the agreements that they have they need to give something back to society. So there's a lot of social programs in which they invest in, in schools, but also infrastructure. They bring a lot of jobs and that also helps again to bring the local workforce further, uh, internships. I see a lot of learning sessions that are given by these operators. So I think that's a great opportunity. And then the next step is, which will move into the future. It also gives the opportunity that once you are with a foreign operator or EPC company or any of the subservices in oil and gas also gives you the opportunity to maybe go with them to the next area and that's something that i'm looking at being here for over 15 years as ips and we see oil and gas opportunities in guiana for example which is a country with only a few hundred thousand people no oil and gas history i think that's also where the mexican workforce can slowly grow into and that's where we can help companies and mexican labor force as well develop even further in the next year so a lot of uh, opportunities i would say very interesting, Guido. Now, how important is it for IPS to build solid relationships with clients and with different parties in Mexico to help create these collaborations to develop more specialized talent in Mexico? Yeah, obviously, uh, it's important. Uh, I mean, these are projects that have a long time span. Obviously, in the beginning, you saw that everything was around exploration. Uh, so there was a lot of uh, personnel required for this. Then next move is into production. And then we help companies Getting set up in Mexico, which is obviously already a challenge. Uh, it's one of the most difficult countries in obligatory burdens when it comes to payroll, uh, tax administration. And one of the few certainties you have in Mexico is that everything changes all the time. So it's good to have a partner like us that can unburden you from this part of issues with personnel and you know all the different entities, government entities that you need to be registered with. And then the earlier you get together, the better, obviously. We always try to be the, the preferred partner to our uh, clients, but we also try to be the preferred employer of our employees. So for us, it's important that we give our personnel 100% everything they have the right to and give them you know, the same benefits that we would give uh, personnel in other places because that's important. We're, we're talking about people who have families, who have responsibilities, so that's important. And we try to educate together with our partners from early stages on to make sure that that goes in a, in a smooth way. Guido, I would like for you to tell us what impact have recent federal labor reforms had on flexible solutions for oil and gas companies? That's a question with a lot of answers, right? But first, let's go a little bit back to why that happened at all. As I mentioned before, I think it's important that uh, personnel gets all the benefits that it's entitled to. In that perspective, I think it's a good that there was some actions taken. If you look at the, the profit sharing part, PTU, if you look at even other benefits as registering your personnel with Social Security and all the benefits that come with that, right? the pension plan, the, the housing fund, any of the other benefits that people are entitled to, those were sometimes, there were some corners cut. I think in the end, there were over 11,000 outsourcing companies already in Mexico. 
plus all the insourcing companies that you know had a company with all the commercial activities then other company with the personnel and then that didn't match on the profit sharing so something had to be done I do think that the labor reform was a little bit over the top I mean you know there were also companies out there like us that did things by the book and did it in the correct way which could have worked towards the future and especially in the oil and gas market because most of the projects that they have here are temporary so an exploration project can take all the way from uh, three months to about a year depending how much uh, wells you want to do and how much preparation and aftermath there is and there obviously it would help a company to to have a flexible solution which you know in the new model is still possible in a way i'll get to that in, in a second but overall if you look worldwide uh, energy projects are usually temporary and there would be good to have flexible solutions so it's still possible in, in, in different ways. I mean, that's also something in Mexico. If it doesn't go this way, it can go that way. And that's everywhere around the world. But you just have to find a modo operandi to do so. So uh, the answer to your question is, it's good that there were changes, but it did change the whole game. So that's where I would like to go in the next part of the answer. What changes, obviously, that outsourcing overall became illegal. To be honest, it has been illegal for a long time. But now the measures have been a little bit different. So companies like ourselves and all the other uh, staffing agents uh, had to change. I mean, we, we used to be able to hire people uh, under our name and then put them with the client. And now th that's not possible anymore. So what we diversified into is uh, mainly three things. One of them is helping all those companies that need to establish here to run their own HR uh, department and all the entities that you have to be registered with in Mexico, as I mentioned earlier, it's not so easy. There's a lot of entities. There's a lot of administration. We can help companies set up in that way. And we can also, and that's the next phase, run that in their name. So in the end, we do exactly the same. We recruit, we, we run all the administration, we do the social security and all the other benefits. But once the personnel uh, uh, signs the contract, they're signed on behalf of the company. So they are direct employees of the company, but we do all the work behind the curtain, let's say. That's called RPO or Recruitment Process Outsourcing Services. And there's some other services around that that can be offered just you know, to unburden the, the companies from the responsibilities they have. So they're not dodging the responsibilities, but we help them sort of as an external HR department. And the third and last one that we do is obviously finding that personnel, the talent. We've been here for 15 years. We've been globally for 35 years. So we have a database of over 100,000 qualified candidates. Within that, about 25,000 Mexican qualified candidates uh, in all different disciplines. So we can help people find the right people. So if they're out there, we'll find them. Now, the oil sector opened up recently. How have you seen the changes? How difficult was it to help operators accommodate here in Mexico in a recently opened market? Um, yeah, it's, it's opened recently and uh, that gave a lot of challenges because a lot of the companies that we've seen, they think, oh, well, we did that in Angola. So how difficult can it be to come into Mexico, which is just in the, it's in the same Gulf of Mexico where we've been working for years. But obviously uh, there's different cultures, there's different expectations, there's different yeah, benefits, different, different way to work with people overall. And people had to get used to that. Also getting used to all those new government entities that were uh, set into place. So at the time we had obviously ASEA, the CNH that had to approve a lot of programs. 
And that obviously cost a lot of money and a lot of time to get a hold of that. Also, at the same time, there were some other associations that, uh, that set forth. One of them, obviously, uh, is Amexi, the Asociación Mexicana de Hidrocarburos, which kind of brought all the people together and, uh, you know, exchanging their experiences, their, their teaching among each other, finding out the wheel uh, together, led always by uh, a stakeholder in the industry. And at the moment, they're doing a great job just to teach everybody. Uh, they have their big event every year. And they are very active with working groups to bridge the gap between what the uh, operators expect and do and what the government expects. And that changes a lot. So bringing that together, that, that's definitely something very important. And you see that most of the operators come into country, usually they start with a lot of foreigners and then later train local people and, and really get everything uh, up and running. I think it's been good times for, for a lot of lawyers and a lot of legal companies, advisory companies. But yeah, it was definitely uh, a big change. And for us on the personnel side, you know, we had to put everybody through the right trainings. We had to explain that this is different than what you used to in the, in the past, but there's a lot of future for you. So make sure that you're on board. So that's what's been happening. And then obviously there's the, the change in which obviously the operators expected the over 900 blocks that were going to be in the whole energy reform and that was put to hold. So I think we only got to about 25% of uh, all the blocks that were going to be given away. And now we have to see what's going to happen in the near future now. But yeah, overall, some of the operators have left. Some of them have changed ownership. Some of them, you've seen it even last week where Talos uh, no, uh, got a participation of Grupo Carso. And you see a lot of those things changing. So it's, it's a very dynamic, to put it like that. It's quite a young market, so it is fairly expected, especially in Latin America. Have you seen some similar cases in other countries in Latin America where the participation of private operators has just recently been opened? Yeah, obviously. And that's very good that you mention it. It's new, but the thing in Mexico is oil and gas industry is not new. So there's already been Pemex for over 80 years. There's a lot of qualified people and there's over 100 million people living in Mexico. Another obvious example is Guyana, right? Where you've seen that I think they only did their first findings in 2015. Um, they're already at uh, over 300,000 barrels per day, uh, and they're participating to be at 2.7 million barrels per day in 2027. But this is where a foreign operator came in, ExxonMobil, and was able to set up the way they are used to work in, in other countries, obviously with big government participation. There's a lot of local content rules there as well, but you know, they're nailing it. They're really going forward in a quick pace. And there's only a couple of hundred thousand people there that have never worked in oil and gas. So it's interesting to see that it can also go like that. Then obviously there's other countries in Latin America, Suriname, where the first exploration wells have been uh, drilled. And now they're looking at the first results which are supposed to come out end of this year, but that's being postponed all the time. Brazil, obviously a country that's very active uh, and has been for a long time. And we've seen things go well and things go wrong. Colombia has a couple of things going on. So yeah, there's other countries where things have happened, but every country has its uh, own uh, curiosities, let's say. But I think Mexico is in, in a perfect spot. It has a good northern neighbor with all the infrastructure. It, it is in the Gulf of Mexico, so it's close, and it has a large population. But yeah, there's also some challenges, of course. Thank you, Guido. Moving along, how does short time framing factor into this future of outsourcing in the oil and gas industry? Yeah, obviously, um, that's a challenge. And Mexico is a country with a lot of legislation around labor laws. It's not so easy to hire and fire as it is in a lot of other countries. 
So you need to make sure that you have that under control. Now, we can advise the companies on how to do that if they still work in the outsourcing form, which you can still do outsourcing, but you can outsource certain services. And in these services, which are now under the name of REPSA, you know, companies that do a certain service need to have a REPSA certificate. And within that, you can still outsource a certain service. You can only do that if the service you're outsourcing is not your primary objective of the company as written in the bylaws of the company, or it's not your main source of income. And this is measured by income of the company. Everything around that you can still do. So for example, an operator, for an operator, drilling is a cost. It's not a main source of income because that's selling oil and gas, right? So they can still outsource drilling services. Now, if you outsource drilling services under a contract, the company that you hire from can hire their people for a certain project and you can hire them on a project basis. And that can be a temporary contract. So that's a little bit different than really hiring someone on a full-time basis with all the indemnization that you would have at the end of a contract. So it is becoming difficult, but it always has been difficult to have temporary contracts in Mexico. But then again, you just have to do everything in the, in the right way, play by the book and make sure that you're hundred percent clear. And also the expectation management between the client and the employee is, is at the same line. What benefits do you believe outsourcing could bring to the sector? How could it be beneficial? Well, in the end, as I, as I mentioned before, I mean, if you're an oil and gas company, you want to drill, you want to get oil out of the ground. You don't specifically want to worry about how do I run uh, an HR company? How do I hire? How do I get to know all the rules? How do I comply with all the administrative tasks that there are? So we try to take that burden away from them so they can focus on operations, focus on what they're here to do, and they don't have to invest a lot of money and resources to open up office, and we can help them with that. And that, as I mentioned earlier, you cannot do that 100% anymore, but we can do a lot of things behind the curtain, which is 100% compliant with law, and make sure they don't get into trouble with HR services in the future. But overall, I think the energy market, usually especially in the exploration phase, temporary, and even in production, I mean, there's no well that is there for life, right? So there's a lot of them that have a long track record, but none of them will be there forever. So in the end, everything is temporary. Thank you for that answer. These jobs usually are time consuming. They tend to require you to be on site for weeks on end. In that sense, how could this help workers know that if they are hired, they have some certainty while they're not working and can return to their work as they're not hired directly by the companies? Yeah, so it's interesting. And I think the offshore market is not for everybody because yes, it's seven days a week, 12 hours a day, and you're basically away from home. But you either love it or hate it. So I've also had people that changed from their seven days a week, 12 hours a day into a normal job where they work 40 hours a week, week after week after week. And I say, hey, I have less time for myself. I have less time for my kids. Because on the seven uh, days a week, 12 hours a day rotation, as we call it, usually it will be 28 days on board or, or any equivalent of, of a weekly schedule. And then the same time you would be resting at home. So in the perfect sense and the way we've been managing it is you get paid both on board and off board. So you have time off to rest. And in those days, you're pretty much free to do what you want. So you say you have 28 days of work. Yes, but then you have 28 days of holiday and spend time with the family. But yes, you are offshore and you know, you're away from communication. You, don't, you cannot go to the cinema. Although a lot of the new vessels do have their gym and their uh, facilities. It's not, not a cruise ship, but there are some facilities. So you have uh, a pleasant stay. 
but you have to get used to that you're not on uh, on the internet all the time you're not with your family not seeing everybody all the time but you know you can get used to that and i think it has its advantages and its disadvantages as is, as does every job right you don't have to be in in the traffic on the reforma where there's a protest going on and it takes you hours to go back and forth now so it's a question of adaptation on that note guido how can that be matched with new generations and them looking for remote work and to not be on site how can compatible talent with this type of work be found yeah no, it's it's a challenge and it's a challenge globally i think that in oil and gas, there's obviously this entire idea that it's it is dirty energy, we are polluting, and, and, and people now, everybody has their opinion on this, obviously, but I think for renewable energy even, I mean, even a windmill is built of steel, so steel and oil and gas will be required for a lot of years, you know? We all want to have our phone charged, we all want to have a nice car, and those are all built out of materials that need oil and gas. So it's an industry that's going to be around for a long time. Yes, the new generation and also COVID has shown us that hey, I can work from home. I can do exactly the same as I do in the office. So, so that has changed and a lot of people are not looking forward to being offshore for 12 hours working seven days a week. Like, yeah, why? If I can make the same money if I'm uh, at home or somewhere. Now, that's something that needs a little bit of change of perception. And in my idea, it's important to motivate people. You know, it's an exciting job. I mean, we've seen the revolution of a phone. If you've seen all the models of, of an iPhone, let's say, I mean, everybody's really enthusiastic about that. But that same thing is happening offshore. I mean, those offshore installation vessels and pipeline vessels and even the platforms, they're going through the same uh, development as well. And engineering jobs are, are exciting. You can make a difference. And, and I think, I mean, not everybody can work at Google or Facebook. I mean, we need people in all sorts of disciplines. And I think the work-life balance in energy is good. And I also think that we should motivate at a very young age to start thinking about, you know, maybe this can be something for you. So I think us and all the stakeholders in the industry, you know, the staffing agents, operators, government, uh, education should be more focused on promoting it in a positive way uh, and really motivate people to go into the industry. And if you're keen on something from the beginning, I think that's where the key is towards the future. I see it. For myself now, I'm now working a lot in, in the United States where we see offshore wind becoming a new industry in the States in the Northeast where there has not been offshore industry. So it's hard to find people that want to go offshore, people that want to work uh, on a vessel. But we are motivating and, you know, we see that people are slowly getting used to it and, and, and changing. Actually, the first projects are going uh, to start in the next couple of weeks, actually. So it's exciting times and we're going to go through that cycle again. Uh, and I think we, uh, we have to do that all together and motivate also uh, diversification. I think it's not just those guys with a big mustache and a beard uh, in an overall. I think there's a lot of things to do also for diversity within the industry. So motivate everybody, men, women, everybody who wants to be part of doing their part, get them into the industry. I like what you said about perspective and showing people the options that are out there, working in something that quite literally moves the world. Now. Why has deep water exploration seen underinvestment in Mexico in recent decades? Obviously, uh, deep water is, is a part that has not been explored enough. I think, you know, we're running out of the easy oil in Mexico. Uh, I think that now more investment needs to be done. Obviously, we saw the first farm out with BHP at the time, now called uh, Woodside, obviously, together with Pemex. I think there's another couple of other uh, fields that are really moving there. And what we've seen in the first exploration wells is that they're has been a lack of, of experience in Mexico, but 
Also, as we've seen with the first FPSO that came into Mexico about 15 years ago, it had 80% of foreigners on board, 20% Mexicans. And that's the way it started also with, with, with deep water exploration and production. It's going to go the same way. 20% Mexican, 80% foreigners. On this first episode I just mentioned, now there's about 95% of the people on board are Mexicans. So it's a time that it takes. Uh, investment, training, uh, safety, awareness, being on the ball and investing. Investing in, in training facilities, in motivating, as I uh, cannot mention enough, people to go into the industry uh, and get them on board and, and giving them the internships and, and, and move forward. Because that's where the future is going to go. It is known that Pemex has been tapping into known territories, and even with the industry being around for many years, the deep water sector has been underdeveloped. Considering said underinvestment, what strategies can be implemented to expedite the development of relevant experience within the domestic market? Yeah, I think, you know, Pemex, obviously, I mean, uh, I think everybody would also try to be uh, in their comfort zone, right? So if that's shallow water or on land or the 80% that I said, which came from the Cantarell field near uh, Ciudad de Carmen, people always thought maybe that would last forever, but it doesn't. So now you have to go another way. Now, there's various ways of doing so. I think farm out is a good option. But then also you need a joint plan. You see the same with uh, Block 7 of, of the Zama field which also now is under plans of uh, production and exploration. But that also needs an investment from, from Pemex. So, you know, I think investment is very important. And also being open to having those investments and having a bit of sharing of all the things that are happening. So I, I'm a strong believer that the, the new energy model is a great model. I think between 78 and 96% of all the incomes will still go to the Mexican market. You, build a bigger labor pool, all those people will be spending their money here. So I think for the market, it's great to welcome foreign investment. And if that is not the case, then yes, uh, I think Pemex needs to uh, clean a little bit shop and uh, invest themselves, you know, and uh, the government is, is really behind Pemex and they really believe in the future. So, uh, you know, let, let's see what it is. But in the end, it's investment and it takes time to be to be up and running, but always keep developing skills and uh, areas that are, you know, also outside of the comfort zone or the, the, the current knowledge. Guido, in this context, how can HR agencies help bridge the gap in experience from growth while ensuring the transcript of knowledge and the skills of personnel? Yeah, I think a lot of global companies like ourselves, we've been doing this also for a long time. So we know which charter candidates have been doing this. We know who can get the job done, but also the people that can train the local workforce. So I think staffing agents, they already know a lot of people out there. So they can be that bridge, you know, in knowledge. And that's what we're all working on. And then in collaboration, we also have projects abroad. So we can help Mexican candidates also go to projects abroad. We've had people work in Europe, in the Middle East, also in uh, Latin America. We've had Mexican workforce because that's the whole thing. As I mentioned before, there is 80 years of experience here. There's a great skilled labor force here. We just need to be able to keep investing in them and moving them around. And then there's great potential. And that's where mainly the global staffing agents can definitely help. Of course. Thank you. Now, beginning to close our interview, if you could give a piece of advice to our audience, what would it be? Yeah, one advice would be, you know, be positive. Uh, make sure that you get a bigger scope, not just... The negative things but also the positive things that come out of the oil and gas industry there's a future there there will be decades of work there 
So make sure that you get the right message, uh, not just the short messages and play your part, become a stakeholder in the industry and uh, try to look for an interesting job within the industry and, and reach out to agents like ourselves. It's worth noting that this sector has brought so much growth to the world. It has brought energy and motorized society. Although new trends and energy must be explored and implemented, let's not lose sight of this industry. Yeah, and I mean, there's also still, I mean, we can have an older, old discussion about energy and about the population growing and the energy needs growing. I mean, you know, even the need for energy will double in the next couple of decades. So there will be a lot of energy and the mix needs to be more healthy. But there's also so much to gain. There can be so much one in countries that are even less developed than the countries we spoke about earlier today, where you can help them become more efficient in the beginning. Also, the current oil and gas market, there's ways to do things more efficient. One of the examples is flaring. There's, there's countries where they're flaring all the gas that comes out of the oil exploration because they focus on the oil and then they burn the gas. While that gas can be used maybe in other part of the world. So educating, education overall is, is important in this part. And it will be around for a long time. You know, we have a growing population, so it will only bring and, and have grow the industry and the industry has developed. I mean, oil and gas has developed, as I mentioned also earlier, all development we've seen over the years. And also those new uh, energy sources are developing. And you can use knowledge that we've learned from oil and gas and use it in other industries like hydrogen, for example, which is a very hot topic at the moment. How can we make that yeah, profitable and scale it in, in a way that, you know, we can use it uh, worldwide. So it's a very exciting industry and there's a lot of things happening. So it's a uh, I'm positive about it and there's plenty to do for us and plenty to do for everybody watching and listening to the podcast. With all this in mind, are there any books or podcasts regarding the topics of our conversation you'd like to recommend? Yeah, obviously. I think I think there's a lot of things out there too that come to mind. One that I really like is, is The Price by Daniel Jurgen. It's about the very first days of oil and gas and how that developed into the century and a half afterwards it's an interesting book to read and on the podcast side I'm, I'm a big fan of podcasts one that really came to my attention lately is, is called flipping the barrel it's about how to motivate women to come into the industry of oil and gas and i think there's so much to be gained there so they interview people that are very strong in the industry and that's really where we need to move to so i think making a more diversified industry uh, those are a couple of the podcasts and there's so many podcasts out there so uh yeah if you look a little bit in, in whatever area interests you do that and and that's another tip in general i would give you know make sure you keep developing yourself and read the right things and if you're in traffic instead of maybe listening to music listen to a podcast listen to something keep developing keep up to speed and up to date and then you also improve you know yourself and your chances on the labor market so that's what i would like to recommend Again, thank you, Guido. Great advice. We're grateful for you sharing your time and experience. Thank you. To everyone listening, go check out IPS's work on LinkedIn and on their website. Don't forget to follow us, leave a rating and a review on whichever streaming platform you're using to listen to this podcast. And if you want to learn more about Mexico's business ecosystem, don't miss out on our audio articles written by experts across all our industries. And we'll see you next Monday with a new View from the Top. Wow.